0: Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. We're continuing our series, Behind the Mask, and this week we cover the mask of the commodity, uh, how we view our culture in a commodified lens. Hope you enjoy. You ever put on 3D glasses? Mm -hmm. They look ridiculous, let's be real. Absolutely ridiculous. Anything that changes color, shading of the world around you, looks silly on anyone. If you think they make you hip, you are wrong. Um, You remember we talked about absolute truth. When we covered apologetics, this is one of those absolute truths. Everyone looks silly when they wear such glasses. They do, however, do one thing. And that is, they change the way we see the world around us. If you are wearing 3D glasses and you go to a 3D movie, suddenly things pop out at you. If you are wearing sunglasses that have a color tint to them, they too change the perception of the world around you. These can be the most dangerous types of masks we wear. Ones that are that are there designed that by their design drastically change the way we see the world around us. Imagine wearing a shaded lens for the first 10 years of your life, only to take it off at your 11th birthday and find out what the color blue really looks like you would be shocked. I think many of us have had those types of moments in life, though, haven't we? We have viewed things one way our whole entire lives, and suddenly the lens is removed, and we see things completely differently. It's those aha moments in life. The next mask that we're going to discuss tonight is called the commodity mask. Uh, It's the second mask that I think is put on by us by the culture we live in. A commodity, as defined by Webster, um, is something that is bought and sold or something or someone that is useful or valued. The reason the commodity mask is on us is because we live in a culture that defines things by how they are useful and valued. If you need me to repeat th- some things tonight, like define the term, raise the clarification, so check. Okay. Um, the reason, because I, I just used the term things. And the reason they use the word things, I know that's like, well, you're going to say stuff too? Um, it, these are philosophical. Many times these are philosophical terms. So things is literally a thing. Um, a thing would be something material in the world. Dreams would not be considered a thing in this definition. Does that make sense? So I apologize if some of this is a little philosophical. Then we begin to see, when we see things as a commodity, we begin to see our relationships. Our family, our faith, as something to be valued only based on how useful it is. Again, I'm going to say that phrase again because I think it's so poignant. We begin to see, when we wear the commodity mask, our relationships, our family, and our faith as something to be valued only based on how useful it is, instead of the reason we should value something, which is how it reflects God. That's how we should value something. How does that reflect our Savior? It's the same reason when we hear a beautiful piece of music, at the end of the day, it reflects the beauty of Christ. It reflects the order. It reflects the beauty of sound. We see a beautiful painting. What we're seeing, the beauty there, is a reflection of God, his beauty It plays into it. It's how things reflect Christ. Hopefully, when you meet your spouse one day, the things that attract you to them are the things that reflect Jesus. They reflect Christ. See, that's the point. How do we reflect God? If we truly are a reflection of him, how do we begin to pull off the mask so we can best do that? Reflect him. How do we begin to reflect God to the rest of the world? And here's our goal for tonight. And this is your first fill in the blank. Is that you take off the masks and begin to see a reflection of God. You begin to live as an image bearer. You are an image bearer of the Most High God. This talk, unfortunately, when it comes to the mask of the commodity, reveals a potential flaw in the goal that we need to address. And that flaw is the definition that we give God because of the mask we wear. Because we have this lens that shades the way that we see an almighty God. And we want to make sure that this mask is off. For some of you, you get it. This mask is not an issue for you. But for many of you, this is a mask that you're going to struggle with simply because the culture pushes this mask so abundantly. This talk, uh, if we have a false view of God, then we cannot reflect him properly. That makes sense, right? If we are wearing colored lenses, then it will affect the way that we see the world around us. This happens because of one mask we wear, the commodity. Again, a commodity is an article of trade, something that is bought or sold. A can of Sprite is a commodity. A piece of clothing is a commodity, something we trade or buy based on its usefulness to us. Sprite's inherent worth, how we should see it, is that it satisfies our thirst? No, that's all that. that Okay. Isn't that the phrase, though, for it? It was in the 90s, I think. A piece of clothing inherent worth, is one, making ourselves beautiful. That's not a bad thing. Okay? And keeping ourselves clean. And in the case of most pop stars today, keeping ourselves modest. Okay? So, here's the next fill in the blank. Because we live in a culture of constantly exchanging commodities, we place value on something, uh, on what something is worth based on its usefulness, not on inherent worth. This is the card you're dealt. This was not this way 70 years ago. And I would be hard-pressed to say it's been like this at any other time in history. We live in a culture of constantly changing commodities. We place value on what something is worth based on usefulness, not on inherent worth. By usefulness, I mean how that makes me happy. How that comforts me. How it defines me. How it protects me. So here's where we're going tonight. So you have a general outline. One, how did it start? Two, why does this happen? And three, what are the results of seeing God and life as a commodity? What are the results of seeing this? So how did it start? Like most things of this age. The Industrial Revolution changed everything when it came to the way we interact with the world. This is your next fill in the blank. Suddenly, there was such an increase in products during the Industrial Revolution that people didn't just need to buy what they needed, they could buy what they wanted. People didn't just need to buy what they needed, they could buy what they wanted. Advertisements, or advertisements, were introduced and wanted to switch the structure of the previous phrase, the previous sentence. This is your next fill in the blank. People need to buy what they wanted. People need to buy what they wanted. That's what advertisers do. People need to buy what they want. How do advertisers do this? They promise fulfillment. They promise comforts, statutes, success, happiness. According to the New York Times, you are bombarded with 3,500 desire-inducing advertisements every day. 3,500 desire-inducing advertisements every day. The power of advertising is that it removes the intrinsic value of the product and places an emotion there instead. It creates a culture that puts value over substance, image over reality, and perception over performance. I think we can all agree with that, can't we? So most of the time, something's usefulness turns into its perceived usefulness. We've been told so many times that Disneyland is the happiest place in the world. That to miss out on it in one's childhood is to miss out on one's part of one's childhood. Yeah, she's like, yeah. Have you not been there? I've been to both, I didn't remember. So, but does that make sense? We've been told that. We've been sold that because you need what you or you want, what you need. You need what you want. Again, because we live in a culture of constantly exchanging commodities, we place value on what something is worth based on usefulness and not inherent worth. I'm going to say that phrase like 20 times tonight. So you'll get, you'll, when you go home tonight, your folks will ask you, what did you learn? And you can say that phrase, hopefully, right back to them. Okay? We look at the world through the mask of everything being a commodity, and it's encouraged by our culture, by the base of our culture. That is namely the economy. Steph, uh, Sky Jathani, and with, I quote him throughout this, um, this talk tonight, puts it this way Although lack of self control has plagued humanity for the first time in history, an economic system has been created that relies on it. Do you need happiness? Here are these drugs, here are these foods. McDonald's brand is so well marketed to kids that a Stanford University study found that carrots, milk, and apple juice tasted better to children when they were packaged in McDonald's wrappers. Uh, That's true. (laughs) What makes you happy? Here are these tools, books. Go here, Disney World. Do you want comfort? Here are these drugs. Here are these foods. Here is this mattress. Here is this car. Here are these clothes. Want something to define you? Here are these stores. Hot Topic, Aeropostale, American Eagle, A&E, Hollister, Victoria's Secret. Here is the smell, cologne, axe. Here is this electronic, apple. Want something to protect you? Here is this false reality. Some sort of online video game in which you immerse yourself in, whether it's World of Warcraft, Perfect World, or whatever else is new. Here is this false reality. Video games, TV. Here is this car to protect you, Volvo. Here is this means of protection, gun, get fit, date this guy or girl. We're always looking for something's usefulness. Commodities bombard us, and we are told that if we don't involve ourselves in this system, our world will collapse. Don't believe me? Following September 11th, Americans were told that by refraining to buy stuff, travel, and continue to live a materialistic lifestyle, that would let the terrorists win. We were told that by the government. Compared to after the Pearl Harbor attacks, citizens were asked to ration for the good of the war effort. This is Sky again. Now amid the global economic recession that began in 2008, economists point to runaway debt and overspending as the cause of collapse. But government leaders did not call citizens to cut their spending or pay down their credit card debt. Instead, they tried to jumpstart the economy by issuing stimulus checks and telling Americans to spend their way out of the recession. All this reveals that consumerism is more than an economic system. It is a belief system. Consumerism has has come to define our lives, our government, and even our spirituality. Do you see how this is all playing together? I hope you begin to see it. This is the next fill in the blank. Consumerism tells us this product will remove our pains and fears. But really all it does is distract us from them. Consumerism tells us this product will remove our pains and fears. But really all it does is distract us from them. So why does this happen? Number two, why does this happen? Because we live in a culture of constantly exchanging commodities. We place value on what something is worth based on usefulness and not inherent worth. It all comes back to that. So what, AJ? This is America. Welcome to it. This is why it's so important because this is the way we see God. Or this is what the typical American teenager sees God as. Namely, a commodity. He is a commodity to us. We have turned God, and this is your next fill in the blank. We have turned God into a commodity. And this affects the overall goal of the series. If the goal is to take off the mask we wear and begin to see a reflection of God and begin to live as an image maker, and if we have a false view of God, then our reflection of God to this world will be as false as the masks we wear. If we're really going to take off the masks, if we're really going to reflect God, we cannot get caught up in this trap of viewing God as suddenly a commodity. This is why this mask is so important to at least be aware of. Christian Smith, a sociologist from the University of North Carolina, spent years studying the religious lives of teenagers. He concluded that most view God... And you've heard me say this phrase before. Most view God as a combination divine butler or cosmic therapist. They are primarily concerned with one's own happiness in contrast to focusing on glorifying God, learning obedience, and serving others. When asked why most teens view God as a butler or a therapist, Smith concluded it was because most of their parents held the same understanding of God. Why? Because we live in a culture of constantly exchanging commodities. We place value on what God is worth based on usefulness and not inherent worth. Smith's broader sampling of America found that most of us hold in common is a consumer worldview. That's what most of us hold in common in America. Therefore, we believe in a God who exists to satisfy our consumer desires. We see God as a holy vending machine who dispenses the wares and wisdom they desire. Consider this most extreme posture. And these are clearly the extreme postures. The health and wealth gospel. Joyce Meyer in Time Magazine was quoted as saying, Who would want to get in on something that uh, your, makes you miserable, poor, broke, ugly, and you just have to muddle through until you get to heaven? I believe God wants us to have nice things. You cannot read that quote and tell me the mask of the commodity has not affected our view of God. Who would want to get in on something where you're miserable, poor, broken, ugly? And you just have to muddle through until you get to heaven. I believe God wants us to give us nice things. Does the Bible say this? Or does our view of the commodity God ask for this? Consider the less extreme posture, too. So this is clearly the other side of the spectrum. A woman asked God to heal her toddler from cancer. Sky Jathani says this. It is certainly not wrong to ask God for things. He invites us to ask. You have to remember that. We are placing ourselves at the center and expecting God to orbit around us. That is the dangerous part. Are we asking God to do something because you know he loves you and you want him to center around you? Or are you asking God because your life centers around him and you trust his will? So finally... What are the results of seeing God and life as a commodity? One, here's your first number one, and I didn't give you a, a fill in the blank, so you're welcome. Doesn't cause change on our part. Does not cause change on our part. Seeing God through the mask of a commoditized world doesn't ask us to change. What we desire, what we seek, what we do, how we live, all shaped by consumerism, are not Disrupted. Because let's be real, at the end of the day, we don't want to change. I posted a five-minute video by Paul Tripp on Facebook on our Yak page this week. Go back, watch it. It's very funny. Um, And it's good because, one, Paul Tripp has the most beautiful mustache in North America. Um, As you can tell, I started this week. Thank the Lord. I'm excited. It's coming out. It's coming out. I'm releasing the beast. Um, So... Back to my point. Uh, but it's a good point. He, he, he makes the phrase, and I, I can't, I watched it once, so I clearly can't get it down verbatim. But he said something like this If someone comes up to you and they correct you on something, what is our response? Thank you so much for being so concerned about my sanctification. Oh, thank the Lord I have someone like you to come up beside me and direct me towards God. Yet we might say those things on a very, very, very sarcastic level. We hate being corrected. We hate it. Especially if they know us really well. It's almost easier hearing correction from a complete stranger than it is a parent, a sibling, a close friend. One, because they know us a little too well. And two, you know them a little too well. But that's what we're called to as the church. We're called to sanctification. We're called to call each other out. We're called to ask each other to do hard things. We're not called to get up in front of you. I'm not called to get up in front of you all. Pastor Patrick ain't called to get up in front of you all. No pastor's called to get up in front of you all and be like, you guys are doing a great job. You're the best Christian church in the world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you You have arrived. You have arrived as a body. No. No. If you ever go to a church and they do that, run away. He does not care or she does not care about your sanctification. They do not run. You know. You know. Amen. You know you have a great friend when they have the fortitude to call you out on something. You know you have a great friend. If a friend calls you out on something, cling to that be like, thank you so much, can we hang out more? Because I'm going to screw up in the next five minutes and I'm going to need somebody to call me out on it. Can you be here to be on my shoulder and tell me you're screwing up? Fix this. I know none of you would ever do that because none of you want to change at the other day. You're just like me. I like, I like who I am. The flaws, I'll get to those later. One, it doesn't cause us to change when we live in a commoditized world. When we absorb this cultural value into our faith, God can be reduced to an instrument of amusement. He or his church supplies us with the means of distracting ourselves from pains and fears. We seek worship experiences every week to soothe the struggles we are having at work at home. We stay busy involved in programming or events at church, and we pray for God's material blessing that will make our lives more enjoyable and comfortable, rather than helping us experience joys, sorrows, victories, and defeats of life more acutely and from a higher point of view. A great deal of contemporary religion is designed to help us just get along. To make us more comfortable on the journey. And perhaps keep us entertained with music and merchandise designed to be safe for the whole family. I'm not saying it. Two. We value what God can do for us, but not God himself. We value what God can do for us, but not God himself. This is Skye again. We shouldn't be surprised to find that when we fixate on what we can attain from God, we fail to experience the peace of his presence in our lives. And again, let me, let me speak a little bit more on this point. We value what God can do for us, but not God himself. I would say that 90% of former Christians, apostates, who well, I've talked to you on college campuses who have walked away from the faith comes down to this mask. Suddenly God was not able to do something for them. Protect a friend from a drunk driver. Friend or parent died of cancer. And suddenly because they viewed God as a cosmic vending machine they did not know how to react. That's why we're talking about this mask because it's so Deadly. Third point. And this is maybe more for the broader, but I think it's true. Reflects the problems within the church. Reflects the problems within the church. Look at the world. This is Sky again. When a marriage is no longer satisfying my desire, I can end it and try a new one. When a church community is no longer meeting my needs, I will attend a different one. And the fact that there are more men, women, and children in slavery today than at any other time in history, approximately 27 million, shows the tragic impact of this self-centered mindset on the most vulnerable. Horrors like slavery, sex trafficking, abortion, euthanasia, genocide, are only possible when people are seen as commodities measured by their usefulness and not by their inherent worth. Four. People aren't delivered from their problems, they hide from them. People aren't delivered from their problems, they hide from them. Comfort, not holiness, becomes the ultimate goal. We live in a very affluent area. When I, to, when, people, when I talk to other people from around the country and they say, what is the number one sin that Frisco deals with? I tell them they want comfort more than holiness. We will spend more time and energy to be comfortable than we will to be holy. I don't know how to say her name. I'm going to butcher it. Jean Twang, both names I'm going to butcher. Jean Twang and her colleagues at the psychology department at San Diego State University analyzed mental health records between 1938 and 2007 from more than 63,000, not 6,300, 63,000 young adults What they uncovered was a dramatic upturn in psychological problems since 1930s, most notably depression. ABC News reported, the researchers found that students today feel much more isolated, misunderstood, and emotionally sensitive or unstable than in previous decades. In addition, teens today are more likely to be narcissistic, have poor self-control, and to say they're worried, sad, or dissatisfied with life. Twang and her team concluded that consumerism is the major reason for the rise in mental illness. We have become a culture that focuses on material things, she said, and less on relationships. How does this change God? How does this change God? When we look at God, we may see a reflection of our consumer selves, a divine vending machine to dispense our desires. But when God looks at us, thank God, he sees his child, created in his image, who is holy and dearly loved. When God doesn't fulfill our vending machine desires, he loses his usefulness to us. Which mask will you wear? The one that God sees you as, or the one that you see God as? Thanks for listening to this Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. Tune in next week.